Well, how's everybody doing? If you've got your Bible, you can open it to Psalms chapter 1. Good to see everyone here this morning. How many of you ready for 2024? Nobody. Good. <laughs> Woo! Very lackluster excitement. Well, I have a hype section somewhere right here. I expected something right there. Maybe they haven't realized. Maybe their parents haven't told them they can stay up all night. Hey, when you go home, tell your parents, Pastor Herrick said you can stay up all night long, okay? Um, and don't call me, please. Um, so, uh, Psalm chapter 1 will be at today. Um, the title of this sermon is The Pursuit of Happiness, which is going to be interesting being a one-off series. Uh, and just real quick, just to kind of get you thinking through the new year and stuff, I, I was kind of processing what I want to talk about. And uh, I, I want to ask you to do this. Just finish this statement with a person next to you or maybe in your mind or heart is this. I would be happy in 2024 if fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Now, now you can be overly religious and say if, you know, world peace and all that. Okay, yeah, you can say that if you want to. Let's be honest with ourselves for a second. I would be happy in 2024 if fill in the blank real quick. I'll give you just a second to share that with the person next to you and for them to give you that look of <laughs> seriously uh, on your face, whatever you want to do. Uh, If you're a naturally negative person, if you've never been called Eeyore as I have been called in the past, you may be looking at me and go, what is happiness? I've never heard of this such word. I don't know what that means. And people like us say we're not negative, we're just honest with ourselves and everyone else around us. Too bad you're not on the same page as us. Uh, for, for me, I don't know, I have a lot of dreams and, and, and aspirations for 2024. I'm, I obviously one every year is weight loss, hopefully lose some weight. That's what uh, would be awesome. Uh, me and my oldest daughter are actually running. Uh, we've discovered running is not fun. Um, and uh, we're, we're working towards, we're wanting to try to do a half uh, marathon for the memorial. Uh, we're at the three and a half mile mark, and that's about as far as we want to go uh, right now. <laughs> it's not very fun. But we'd be happy if we could accomplish that. We'd be happy if we could... I don't know, uh, get out of debt on some things. Uh, we're, we're saving up, we've been saving up for the past couple of years for a Disney World trip we've been going on, which is the happiest place on earth, and it better deliver, or I want a full refund of all the money we're going to be spending on this terrible situation. I bring this up because I want to ask this question. Is happiness attainable or even predictable? Or here's another one, even more so, is it Biblical. We often give shame on, well, happiness is not something we should be going for or a Christian. You, you need to be joyful always, but happiness is not something we should go for, right? But, but the reality is when we look at Scripture today, what we're going to look at is, is God actually has a secret to a happy life. And no, this is not a prosperity gospel sort of thing, but an honesty of what Scripture tells us about happiness in our life. It tells us there is a formula to happiness. I'm not speaking hypothetically. I'm not speaking, uh, but, but I'm speaking literal and predictable. S similar to like, think of weight loss. If there's certain things you do, you will lose weight. You eat more calories or burn more calories than you eat. I've been doing it wrong. That's my problem. You burn more calories than you eat, you lose weight. There's many different ways to do it. In the same way, Scripture gives us some guidance in the same situation where happiness is attainable if we follow certain guidelines of what it looks like to find happiness as God designed it to be. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at, look at Psalms chapter 1 and see what God says about it. 
As you're turning to Psalms 1, um, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm debating from now on when I have one-off series like this doing a book of Psalms. Uh, I, I've never hated Psalms, I've never enjoyed Psalms in the past. It was one that was like, yeah, it, it's a book, it's good, it has good stuff, but uh, I don't, didn't get into a lot of poetic stuff. Uh, but it, during sabbatical, I found myself reading through Psalms as I was going through my own sort of spiritual journey and found a lot of joy in it. Um, a lot of it was written by David, King David, who Scripture talks about as being a man after God's own heart. And I'm encouraged by it because when I read Psalms, you see David doing this. God, you're good, man. You are the best. What is going on? God, have you forsaken me? Have you lost me? God, where are you? You know, I mean, just constantly throughout. And hearing someone who pursued God and God's like, that's my man right there, go through some of the same struggles and battles I deal with gave me encouragement and to walk through stuff. And so I just say that as an encouragement. If you've never read through the Psalms or given it time, I would please don't do what I do. Go through and give it a second glance. It really, really is very edifying. Um, Psalms chapter 1, let's read what it says. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Like whatever he does seems to prosper. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like the shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. What, what is he talking about? If you have any other translation than mine, I have the CSB version, uh, yours starts out as blessed, is opening statement is what it says. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person. But my translation says happy. It's interesting in the original Hebrew, the word for blessed right there most appropriately is happy. There's a different Hebrew word for blessed. It's not that this is an inappropriate word, but it's more closely connected to the word happy. There's no mistake here he's talking about, listen, there's a secret to happiness. And if you follow this, listen, God has clearly orchestrated, you will find happiness in your life. A happy person is this. And so the big idea is this. God has the secret for happiness for us. And if you want to be happy in 2024 and you're pursuing a bunch of other things, you're probably looking in the wrong thing and you're going to find yourself miserable and praying that 2025 is better. But the reality is if we follow God's instruction, what he says is a pattern of happiness, we will truly find it. So let's look at it again, it's unpacking. He talks about what a happy person does not do. Three steps to an unhappy life starting in verse 1. He said, how happy is the one, and it's interesting the transition, that does not. He doesn't start talking like, this is what you should do. Like, let me just tell you what the pitfalls to avoid first when it comes to happiness. And I think the reason he does it is because we all naturally follow the trend of what he starts here. And he unpacks three things, that what unhappy people don't, or, or unhappy people do. He, he says what? He said, does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Walk in the advice of the wicked. In, in other words, someone who, uh, they walk by, they listen to the advice of the godly and ungodly, and they go, it actually sounds like that may work. But you're telling me there's a place in Florida that if I spend a lot of money, man, will bring magical happiness to my life and my kids will love it forever. It'll be the best investment I have ever made. Where can I sign up, Right? He's saying, listen, there's advice the world gives us, and we tend to listen to those things, and if we walk in those ways, we won't be happy. He says, or the person who stands in the pathway of sinners. Stand is people who begin to try out the lifestyle of the ungodly. 
Not only have I heard this, but guess what? I put down a deposit and start putting money towards this because it sounds like a good plan. It sounds like they may be onto something. I'm giving this a try for myself. But he continues on. Not only do they, they walk, do they stand, but they also sit. What does he say? Sits in the company of mockers. Sit in Jewish culture. Where you sat showed where you belonged. Think about this. Where was Jesus most criticized? Who, who he sat and had dinner with. He sits with the hypocrites. He sits with the, the, the sinners, the Gentiles, these people. He sits with those people. He, he was one of them. To, to sit, in other words, you begin to believe in the way, of, and he says, of the mockers. One who mocked God, looked to God and like, man, look how foolish this that is. If you don't know what that means, go read Romans 1. Romans 1 talks about the world being so turned from God that God gives them over to the desires of their heart, and they begin to look at their foolish ways and call it good. They even say this, it says, even they look to the cross and think the message of the cross is foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We begin to laugh and think, man, how foolish are those Christians? Man, they could have slept in on Sunday, but yet they got up and listened to this fool talk. They could have done so much stuff better with their time. When you think about sitting, think of high school lunch tables. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if it's still like this, but growing up for me, I remember you had different tables. You had the jock table. You had the nerd table. You had the just weird table right here. You had the cheerleader. You had the different tables that associated with certain types of people. And if you sat at their people, you naturally became one of those people. I was a free floater that went around just like to talk to people from this table to this table. And it's funny, whatever table I went at, people began to associate me with because where I sat is where I was. He says for many of us, when it comes to happiness, we, we do the same thing. And, and notice the, the, the progression. Notice the progression. They walk, they stand, and, and they, they sit. They, they literally plant themselves at this place. If you don't know, this is retail marketing 101. For me, I remember this scene whenever uh, me and my family went to uh, a home and garden show at the state fairs, and we went with my mom and my dad and, and my wife's parents and stuff, and we're walking down these aisles just looking at stuff, which I don't know how they suckered me to go into a home and garden show, because that sounds terrible, but I went. And we're walking at one of these aisles that they have these really, really expensive massage chairs, you know what I mean, that you're supposed to sit and check out? And we're walking by, as we walk by, I see my mom's head do this. She's listening to what they're saying. This will solve all your problems and your pain will go away. And suddenly she's like, I'm going to go just check it out. And so after she listens, she walks over and sits in the chair. And 15 minutes later, we can't find her because she's been in the chair on repeat cycles of getting this massage chair. And by the end of the night, my dad's over there signing the paper as she walked out with this very expensive massage chair and bought into this is what will make you happy. And you see, this is exactly what happens to us. We're looking for things that will give fulfillment and make us happy, and we hear something. Man, this is the secret. We begin to tune our ear in and say, well, wait, wait, what did you say? But let me walk in this path and give it a try, and suddenly you become a believer. Like, guys, this is the answer. That little mouse with big ears will solve all your problems. I'm telling you right now, if you go, fix everything. Forget the $5 million you spent. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It'll fix all your problems. He said, this is what, no, that's not what he says. He says, this is what unhappy people do in their life. Now, just real quick, be honest with yourself. Look in your life, and where do you see that? Like, if you're honest with yourself, where do you see yourself? What step are you on? Are, are you walking, and yet you're, you're kind of tuning in to what they're saying? 
Have, have you stood in the path and it's like, I'm, I just want to try this on for size because I believe this truck would make me happy. I believe this thing would make me happy. I, I believe going to this event, whatever it would be, this relationship will make me happy. Or, or have you come to a point where you have sat down, planted yourself and said, guys, this is the answer to life. Forget what they're saying. I mean, honestly, where, where are you at? If we're honest with ourselves, even myself, I'm not excluding, you're hearing my stories up here. If I, if I can run a half marathon, my life will be delivered. And then people go, yeah, you got a full marathon next. Yeah, forget you guys. There's always more that's needed to be achieved. That, that's not what brings happiness. But he says in verse 2, he transitions, he says, instead. You see, happy people don't do this, but instead, what do happy people do? He said that their delight is in the Lord. He provides three steps to happy life. They start with their delight is in the Lord. They, they find ways to enjoy spending time with God and his instruction. When's the last time you've honestly said, listen, spending time with God brings life to me. Like, I, I enjoy it. Or how often is it when we come to spending time with God, it's like, man, i got to check that list. God, you got 30 minutes, okay? Let's get this done. I'm going to open the Bible. You better inspire. If not, obviously, I did my job. I walk away and I'm accomplished. The reality is, is we sit and we find ourselves enjoying spending time with God. I'm going to be honest, in sabbatical time for me, this was something that God radically got in my face about. I become a creature of such routine and become a creature of such accomplishment, going from one task to another to another, that God literally disrupted my life in a very troublesome way in my household, in a way to get my attention that that's all I was doing, coming, sitting down with God, opening my Bible and say, get it done, I got stuff to do, closing my Bible and moving on with my life. People ask me what I did, I'm going to say, nothing. A, a lot of my time went just to spend time just sitting and saying, God, you have all day. I began reading through Psalms, and I found a way to delight in the Lord and say, God, I want to enjoy my time with you. I'd walked away from that. I understand this. When it comes to delighting in God, it's not a one-size-fit-all. You don't look at people like, well, if I don't do it Eric's way, it's not the right way. There are many different ways. If you want to lose weight, and there are many different ways. You can run yourself to death. and You can die. There are many different ways. It's not a one-size-fit-all, but yet there's, there's a common factor that fits into all those things together. I think with even my own daughters. I mean, you think about this. When it comes to God, spending time, it's a relationship. God did not create us all the same. He created us all unique and different. I think of my two girls. The way I connect with them in a relationship is different from daughter to daughter. Why do I run with my oldest daughter? Because we, we, we bond it. We enjoy it. I actually enjoy having the breaks of walking because we get to talk in between. And so my, my youngest daughter has zero desire to go run. But yet, when it comes time to watch a movie and cuddle on the couch, that, that's our, there, there's a different bonding that we enjoy doing. Listen, when it comes to God, your delight in the Lord may look different than the other person. But the question is, are you finding ways to delight in God? Okay, this one doesn't work. Well, then find another way. But ultimately, come to some point, we delight in God and his instruction. What aspects of God do you enjoy? And, and if you're like me, that honestly, before sabbatical, your answer was, I don't have one, then, then you need to do some serious work on pursuing and working on that relationship. 
Not only do happy people enjoy delighting in the Lord, but look at the next thing he says. He says, and, and he meditates on it day and night. God's instruction, you come to see God's instruction is not burden laden. God, you're such a killjoy to my life, but I find joy in it. But then I begin to meditate on it. I, I love that word meditate. It, it literally means to mumble or mutter. It's literally someone that's walking and they're... They're just muttering, mumbling to God constantly, meditating on what he says, pursuing it. Some commentators kind of equate it to like cows chewing on curd, just kind of marinating and let it just work inside their system. How do you find ways where constantly you walk and just constantly keep God in some sense of periphery of your mind? Man, God, your word says this. How do I... How do I make that apply? And what do I, man, how do you, and just constantly allow it to come in. It's finding ways to keep God on your mind. For, for me, um, I, I, I'm joking, kind of joking, not joking. I, I'm a naturally negative person. I find myself constantly, my mind can go to the worst places and think negative of every situation. And that was something God exposed to my heart in the time of sabbatical and spending time alone with the Lord. And one of the things I came, truth, I found 2 Corinthians 10, 5, says we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I am terrible at scripture memory. And so what do I do? I, I, I took a picture of that scripture and put it on my home screen of my phone. And every time I picked up my phone, that was the first thing I saw. And when my thoughts began to go to places that I knew was wrong, I began to remember, wait, God's word says something about this. And I looked at it, it says, take captive of that thought. And I tell God, God, man, this thought's not going to a good place, man. Please take a hold of this. I started to remember 2 Thessalonians 5.18. Be joyful always, pray continuously, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's another one I put on my screen, a way for me to constantly keep God on my mind and meditate. Say, God, man, you want me to be, be joyfulness. This is your will for me in you, in Christ Jesus. How, how do you find ways to keep God on your mind? Like, let me just say this. Where or how does God consume your thoughts? Do you, do you spend time reading, delighting in the Lord, set it down and go on through your life and forget that ever existed? And the next time God gets to see you is hopefully the same time the next day or sometime. In reality, man, I'm, if I want happiness, I, I allow this stuff to marinate in my heart. Listen, if you're like me as a busy person, it's hard to do that. So how do you find ways to consume your thoughts with God? The third thing I love, he talks about happy people do. Not only do they delight in the Lord, not only do they meditate on his word, but look what else he says in verse 3. He, he says, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams. In, in their minds, this would be an arid desert type. I mean, Middle Eastern culture and stuff, a tree that's flooring in situations like this had to have nourishments from some type, place, had trees that coming from some place. In other words, he's talking about this, planting yourself in a good location where you can thrive and survive. A tree can't be nourished if it's not by water. Think of your own life. Where have you planted yourself? What, what friends, what relationships, what, what patterns, what habits, what walks have you done in your life to where, listen, you can easily access and find God's on every time of the day you need to. For many of us, we struggle because we don't place ourselves in a good location. I, I, two different times I've been on a diet spell where I have lost over 35 to 40 pounds two different times in the past three years. Can I, can I tell you, overall, some of my patterns have stayed the same, but some of them have changed. When I gained weight each of those times is because I took myself away from the patterns that kept me in a season of health. I began surrounding myself with things I knew weren't healthy. I'm thinking, as long as I keep these couple little things, surely it'll be okay. And man, here's Gordo Eric back in the picture. Where did he come from? 
Listen, here's what happened. If you don't plant yourself, you don't plant yourself in places where you will thrive and flourish, don't be surprised whenever you're starving. Think, think, think of your consistency with the Lord. Do you have some pattern like, God, listen, my, my habit is to spend time with you. You have this day. You have this time. My, my relationships, the people, that, that's why we push connecting groups so hard. It's not because we're trying to boost numbers or, or, or big, bigger metrics. It's because we realize there are times when you're at your worst and you need people who are at their best to pull you out of that hole. And if you don't surround yourself with those people, listen, you're, you're the best you are is at your weakest and worst moment. Let me, let me ask it like this. Am I malnourished because of my location? Like, where have you planted yourself right now? It's, it's simple. It's simple as that. Those three things. Do you want to find happiness? Listen, delight in the Lord. Meditate on his word and plant yourself in a location where you can see success in your life. You can constantly be poured into. And listen, when you come to end those things, you'll be happy. And what's crazy, I've been doing ministry for over 20 years now. And at my churches, the people who seem to thrive in these situations are the people who are doing these things. They love spending time with God, man. It's like a personal relationship. They find themselves constant. Man, I was in this situation, and God's word just came to my heart. And I'm thinking, who are you? They, they have people. They have community. They plant themselves in a situation. And guess what? Man, they, they're the happiest people. And I look at them like, man, I want that. But, yeah, I find myself keep following the counsel of the wicked. I'd be so happy, man, if I just had this thing. If I could just try it on, if I could just try out wealth for a minute, then I would know how happy it is. And so I'm like, man, this is the answer. And yet I come to the end of myself and I'm like, man, I'm still miserable. You know, the beauty is he tells us metrics to know that we've arrived. Look what he says. How do you know if I'm going in the right direction? He says he's like a tree planted besides flowing streams. And listen to what he says. That bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Like whatever he does prospers. Notice those three things. How do you know you've accomplished, you're heading in the right direction? The first thing you see is he says, bears fruit in season. You begin to see visible fruit at the right time. We, we know when fruit's supposed to come, right? This is, this is strawberry season. This is, you know, you can go to a grocery store and see like there's produce. That you know when the right season of stuff comes. He's talking about visible fruit in our lives. Galatians 5.22, Paul details some fruit of the spirit that we receive. Listen to what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the law is not against such things. In other words, it's easy to have peace, patience, love when things are going well. But as believers, there is a consistency in us that when the worst hits, somehow I have peace that beyond understanding. It show, and he's saying this, that fruit shows up at the right time because I'm planted in the right place. I have the right things. Now, how can you love this person? Man, they are such a terrible person. You, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. There's something welling up in me. I, it, the fruit's just coming out. You begin to see that. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. Not, not only do you see unnatural or visible fruit at the right time, he also says what? Um, he says that its leaves will not wither. You stay green in all season. There is a general spiritual health year round. 
You, your, your walk with God does not exactly look like this. You have generally a consistency with God that's just continually year-round. My spiritual health is good. You, you're unfazed by the circumstances of life. I, I think of Paul in Philippians 1.21. He, he says this, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I love it. You know what I mean? He's like, dude, I don't, I don't care what you throw at me. It's all good. I mean, Paul's, Paul's like the gangster of the Christian walk. I mean, dude's like, like dude, we're, we're going to throw you in jail. He's like, awesome. I got a captive audience. We're going to let you go. Great, I'm free to share the gospel. We're going to try to kill you. Give you your best shot. I can't wait to see God. I mean, like, he's like, you can't touch me. I'm happy whatever you do. No matter the circumstances, man, he just stays evergreen. How do I know that I'm, I'm pursuing happiness as God has shown me? Man, I find fruit at the right seat. I find this, man, a consistent greenery in my life. And the last thing he says is what? They, they prosper in whatever they do and all that they do. And now this one I struggled with because sometimes I don't feel like I prosper. Even walking with God, sometimes I don't feel like I prosper. I'm like, well, how, how can you say in all that you do I prosper, God? What, what does that prosper refer to? Well, I'm going to speak about it on a spiritual level and just a practical level too. Psalms 37.4 says this, listen. He says, delight, well, if I can find where it says. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 6.33 tells us this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are these things? Talking about all your worries, your frets, your anxiety you have will be taken care of for you. I'm going to say on one level, listen, when you begin to delight in God and that's what you want, God gives you all you could want and more. And suddenly everything I have, man, I just want God and I've found him in life. I don't, I don't care. All the other stuff suddenly becomes rubbish to me to the point that I prosper in all aspects of what's going on. Not just that, even on other levels, man, I still find that God even prospers in stuff that we don't seem to care anymore about. He still seems to take care of these other things that I don't care about, but I'm happy as a lark because why? Because I've been persuading God, I delight in God, and he's given me everything I want. See, some of us can't prosper in life because we're seeking this as prosper when in reality God has this as something else. And we're missing it. And if we don't change our path, look at the last part of the text, and we're coming to the end, look what he says. He says, the wicked are not like this. They, they don't, they're not evergreen. They don't see visible fruit at right seasons. They, they don't prosper in all they do. But instead, what happens with them? Verse 4, we're going to not like this. Instead, they are like chaff, blown away with the wind. Chaff, if you don't know, is the husk that was on the outside of wheat. And they would take it and they would roll it up or they'd stamp on it with animals and they would take like a pitchfork type thing, throw it in the air in a windy day and the shaft would blow away and all the kernels of, of wheat would come falling to the ground. Shaft is something that attaches itself, something to value. It has no inherent value of itself, but it tries to attach itself to valuable things. He said the wicked are like that shaft. They try and try to attach to something valuable, but in the end they find that they're completely worthless and just blow away. And all the things I thought that mattered suddenly are gone. He's like, that's how the wicked are. They don't really, there's no intrinsic value with you. He says, not only that, he says, therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. They will not last. They have no solid ground to stand on. Both in this life and the next, when we come, there will be no solid ground for them to stand and say, listen, God, look what I did. And he's like, man, what did you do? What did you waste your life on? Not only that, look at the next part. He says, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
Who, who are the assembly of the righteous? They're, they're speaking of God's people. Sinners won't stand as part of the one counted. These people will not stand as the one counted as a part of God's people. You, you, in other words, you, you begin standing outside of God's family and his blessings. You might say, why is that? Well, look at verse 6. He says this, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But when we choose to not place ourselves under the umbrella of God, we understand we're at the mercy of the elements of the world. I think of a similar situation about a couple of years ago. Uh, my daughter is a redhead and my brother is a redhead. My brother, being an older redhead, has experience with something called the sun. I don't know this, if you know this, but redheads in the sun don't mix. And, and so amen from a grant over here. And so we're outside installing a fence in the summer at my yard and stuff like that. And we're all out there helping and stuff, pitching and stuff. And we're working, and my daughter comes out just, you know, enjoying. She hasn't had a lot of experience with this stuff. My brother comes out, has a hat on, a full sleeve shirt on. I mean, he's covered from head to toe with every sort of thing. And he looks at her and goes, you might want to put something on. You're going to regret that later. And she's like, no, nah, I'm good. And so we work out all day, and we don't pay any attention to stuff. By the end of the day, she's getting sunburned and stuff like that, and she's miserable. And my brother's like, told you. I could have told you when you don't protect yourself as a redhead, we're cursed by God. This is what happens to us. you got to understand. You're not cursed by God. <laughs> my, my point is this, listen. When, when we refuse to be under the protection of God, don't be surprised when we pro- fall prey to the fallout of sin. Don't, don't be surprised with that. Why, why, why do I not find happiness? Why do I not find prosperity? Why do I not find some in my life? Because listen, you, you've refused to sit under the umbrella of God. And you may not notice it over small increments of time, but over long increments, guess what? You begin to see that red glow of a burn. And it's too late. Happiness is easily found in God. God God has the secret of happiness for us. Now, now if you're sitting in this room, or this is your first time at church, you're probably frustrated, right? Because you're saying, ha ha, pastor, Uh, you're saying the happiness of life is Jesus, right? Isn't that always the answer? It's like a sermon I was listening to J.D. Greer, and he told this joke about a Sunday school teacher who asked their class of first graders and said this. They said, what, what's gray, has four paws, a bushy tail, and eats acorns? Anybody know? What is it? Raccoon. One of the little boy raises his hands and says, that sounds like a squirrel or a raccoon, but we're in Sunday school, so the answer has to be Jesus. Listen, that, that might sound absurd to you to keep throwing out Jesus is the answer to happiness. But can I just say it like this? If you don't find happiness in your relationship with Jesus, then you probably aren't taking full advantage of what that relationship is. It's no different than both my mom and my mother-in-law when they got the brand new iPhones when they came out and you give it to them and they're like, this dumb thing doesn't work. I don't even know how to make a phone call. And we're over there doing all sorts of stuff, playing with it. And she's like, how, did, how is that? We're like, listen, it's all on here. You're just not using it. You're not taking advantage of all the tech specs of what you can do on this thing. They didn't take the time to learn and realize, wow, there, there is, there's, a, there's stuff in here. Many of us, when we, task for, when we come to our relationship with the Lord, we ask him into our heart and say, God, save us. And we take that ticket, we place it on the self and say, I'll come get you at the end of my life. And we don't understand why the gift to joy God has for us is sitting right there and we don't experience the fullness of what it is. So, so many people mistake salvation as a destination. And salvation is a relationship. When I get to heaven, the only thing that makes heaven heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. 
I want to say something that might blow your mind. If Jesus decided he wanted to go to hell, guess where I want to go? I want to go to hell to be with Jesus because that's where I want to be with, is with Jesus. It's not about the location. It's about where the person is. And the beauty is, as believers, when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, he, puts the pot, he, he comes and saves us now before we get the fullness of our relationship and turning, which means I can enjoy all the aspects who he is right now in my life. And many of us are wasting it. We're spending all our time listening to what an unsaved world has to tell us about how to be happy. And we can't understand why at the end of each day we come to, just as I have been many times ago, I don't understand why I'm not happy. Now I know we're scared of sermons that tell you you can be happy, but listen, this is God's word. You, you can be happy. It, it's up to you. It, it's, it's very predictable. It's very methodical. It, it's very practical. The question is, will you follow what he says? I I know we all get to New Year's resolutions and we feel like it's a waste of time, but seriously, what, how could you make this year different? Maybe for you, you don't need to find joy in Disney World or a half marathon or losing weight. The reality is your happiness is going to be found in the Lord this year. What, what do you need to do to start pursuing that differently if you haven't been finding this last year? And if you think you're just going to do the same thing over and over again and find this, a different result, that, that's literally the definition of insanity, is it not? doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Something has to change in what you're doing. And for me, I'm very gracious for the gift the church gave me that sabbatical time. God, God woke me up to that, like, Eric, man, you, you've been doing the same thing over and over again, expecting something different, yet you're not getting it. I began to pursue the Lord, and man, I was like, man, there, there is, God is good. And all the things I thought I was going in to accomplish got blown up, and God had something else, and it was a beautiful thing. Listen, it would be the same for you. And so I'm going to ask this, wherever you are, just... I'm going to ask if you to bow your heads and close your eyes, not to over-spiritualize the moment, but just to allow you to spend a second with God and just say, God, what, what are you speaking to me about? As a grant, I, I love put the very beginning, like, Lord, what do you have for me today, and then what do you have for us as a church? So with your head bowed, eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to ask God this, like, what needs to change in me this year to be happy with you, God? And maybe you don't know where to start looking. And today you may need to come ask for help. And we're going to have elders and other leaders available around the room to, to help you respond to that. There's no excuse for us nowadays in the world we have and all the access to information, all this stuff, to find resources to help us in the pursuit of these things. Maybe your first step is Accountability. Or maybe some of you in the sound of my voice, you realize today that your first step is just coming to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't done that. So I'm going to pray for you, and however you feel like you need to respond, I, I just ask you to be obedient to that in this moment. Father God, I, I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. God, help us to understand that you want us to be happy, and you have the secret to happiness for us. And for some of us, that's going to mean sacrificing the things we want. Some of us, that means sacrifice our time, energy, and effort, our pride, whatever it may be. But God, I pray we'd give that to you. 
So God, I pray right now, anybody in the sound of my voice, if you're stirring in their heart some sense of conviction to respond, they realize, man, I, something spoke to me today, and I, I, I need to do something about this. God, give them the confidence to get up and come talk to one of our elders in the front or some of our leaders that are standing in the back that would love to talk to them. Help them not to be ashamed to realize that our church wants to celebrate with them life transformation. And God, I pray 2024, we would be people that would be so happy with you that the world would look to us and say, what are you doing? They would come to walk, to stand and sit in our ways and us not do theirs. God, let us be witnesses in that fashion. God, convict us to respond right now and help us to do something with what you're, you're calling us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you stand. We're going to have a time of worship. As I said, we have an opportunity to respond. We got Peace Weger, one of our elders over here. We got JD Gordon, another one. Um, we got the Waylands in the back. We got uh, Steve and Dee Riley in the back that would love nothing more than just to pray with you. Maybe that's what you need, just, just prayer today. It might be nothing I talked about. You might have fell asleep halfway this sermon. And you just want someone to pray for you. Hey, take advantage of that too. But you respond whatever you feel like the Lord's calling you to.